Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and with me, as always, is my good friend Andrew, who has uh, returned to us after a bit of a break, looking a little bit more, a little older, and uh, very full of rage. So uh, please excuse the exploding bulkheads as we uh, as we go through the podcast uh, today. Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, well, it's quite fitting because, you know, RTR is three years old and Kess was away from Voyager for three years. So, you know, if I ever got really, uh, you know, begrudged and uh, felt like the podcast was taking away from my life and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you filled my head with, uh, you know, things that uh, would end up kind of being my, un, uh, you know, on my demise, then, uh, yeah, this would be the exact time where I would come back and uh, try to save myself from myself, right? Exactly, yeah. So if you hear any, like, explosions or anything, just don't worry about it. It's just just Andrew being vengeful and furious. Let's start off by going back to the end of the last podcast, and Andrew's going to uh, tell me how I did with my recall of Fury and give me a score out of five shiny birthday cakes. Yeah, so you had, I mean, obviously, this is probably the most famous for the return of Kess, right? After being away and being replaced by Seven of Nine and everything like that. That was the thing that you got straight away. So uh, Kess returned. I think that you had the, uh, like, the teaser, the opener, like, pretty much bagged, where she shows up in her alien ship and basically shows up with the bulkheads blowing up and, and everything else. So that was... Uh, that was true. You said that uh, she had kind of wild powers and that her powers had kind of expanded from when we had last seen her. That was true. Uh, you also knew that she was kind of upset and that she was revengeful. And then you said that she was upset that she was left behind, but that was actually kind of not... She was kind of more upset that she was taken away from Okampa in the first place, I would say. Um, I mean, you're right there. You kind of miss the whole double time travel kind of thing, which is uh, the other half of the episode. I think I'm going to give you three out of five uh, shiny birthday cakes. But uh, I was thinking, actually, Matt, since we now are, you know, we're over on the new network and we've got all these new listeners and things, if anybody disagrees with these scores, maybe they're at home pounding their fists on the table <laughs> and, uh, you know, they feel like writing in and saying, like, no way, Matt really needed to get a four out of five for that episode. Or maybe alternatively, you're like, no, he just was guessing. He deserves two out of five or whatever. Why don't you drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com? Because I'd be really kind of curious. I mean, I always kind of feel like I'm a fair teacher and that I, uh, you know, I'm trying to give the best results. But I'd be curious to see what the uh, people in the fandom think. We'll do a little crowdsourcing. Yeah, we'll uh, see see how we are as far as uh, score givers. Indeed. <laughs> All right, we'll be talking about Fury, which is from Star Trek Voyager, Season 6, Episode 23. It originally aired on May 3rd, 2000. In addition to the main cast, it also stars Jennifer Leon as Kess. It guest stars Nancy Hauer as Samantha Wildman, Scarlett Palmers as Naomi Wildman, Vaughn Armstrong as Vidian Captain, Josh Clark as Joe Carey. It was written by Brian Fuller and Michael Taylor, based on a story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. It was directed by John Bruno, and just in case you didn't get a chance to catch this episode since the last podcast, I will give you a quick synopsis so you know what the heck we're talking about. Voyager encounters a small vessel carrying an older, frail-looking Kess. She comes aboard and amid exploding bulkheads, goes to engineering, touches the warp core, and then vanishes. She reappears back in time shortly after Voyager is thrown into the Delta Quadrant. After sedating her younger self, she sells out Voyager to the Vidians, who are luring Voyager into an ambush. Tuvok begins having hallucinations and senses that something is amiss when he walks by Kess on the bridge. 
While navigating a region filled with subspace vacuoles, Voyager is indeed attacked by the Vidian ship. The Vidians, aided by an older Kess, are able to penetrate Voyager's shields and grapple onto the ship. Janeway detects some strange energy readings in the Airponics Bay and discovers two Kesses are present. The older Kess throws her around the room until Janeway has no other choice but to kill the older Kess. Voyager manages to break free of the Vidians and escape the attack. Back in the present, the older Kess again approaches Voyager, but this time Janeway and Tuvok are ready for her and shut down the warp core. A holographic recording made by the younger Kess plays, reminding the older Kess of her decision to leave Okampa. The older Kess is touched and decides to return to Okampa herself rather than take revenge on Voyager. Alright, I have no distinctive memories of this episode or, or any of the hype of Kess returning. I think the first time I saw this would have been just reruns. Um, Andrew, do you have any uh, interesting uh, stories about the first time you saw this or anything that stuck out? Yeah, so I, th I think that I, I've talked about it before, but my introduction to Voyager was when I was in university. My roommate was a big uh, Voyager fan, and uh, during that time, kind of like in the early 2000s, uh, here in Canada, there was, I think, three stations that were playing Star Trek in some form or another. So anyway, we would always watch the, the reruns and stuff, but the thing about it was that they would always be in different sections. So, you know, the Space Channel might be on Season 3, and Global might be on Season 5, and because Voyager really wasn't the kind of show that you really needed to necessarily watch in order, we would kind of watch, like, the 5.30 Season 3 episode on, uh, on Space, and then, you know, at 7.30, we'd watch the Global one, which maybe was, like, Season 6. So, um, this was actually something that kind of spoiled the whole uh, Kess, like, arc, let's call it, just because... Uh, you know, I was watching the first couple seasons on one thing and I knew that she didn't kind of show up um, because obviously in season six she wasn't there. But then eventually this episode came about and it was kind of like, oh, wait, what? What what season are we on here? Oh, right. She leaves and comes back. And then eventually I had to go back and see uh, is it the gift? I think is her last episode where she kind of decides to leave and everything. So it, it was kind of one of these things where I I pieced Voyager together just by watching sporadically. Uh, so as much as everybody says, you know, uh, Deep Space Nine was the serialized series and, you know, Voyager was kind of like just sit down and watch it, there was a couple of times, like here, where um, you really kind of needed to know what was going on and that was always my memory of it. I don't remember any major hype about Leanne, Jennifer Leon coming back and I, I don't know if I was really, like... Season six and seven of Voyager, I kind of watched it sporadically, so I don't know. I might have missed this one. I'm not sure, but when I did see it eventually, it did sort of stick out a little bit. Now, we promised some, like, juicy, uh, you know, nuggets about Jennifer Lean's departure and then what it took to, like, get her to return, but there isn't really a lot there. It, it, it was actually a pretty amicable uh, departure from what I was able to put together. Uh, now, originally it was supposed to be Garrett Wong that was going to be removed from the show when they decided to bring in uh, Seven of Nine. But the, what saved him was being uh, was People Magazine choosing him as one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world. Yeah, so I, I remember reading this actually was that uh, he was in the the People's Hot 50 list. Now, I mean, I don't th is that even a thing anymore? Like, would people of today really know what the Hot 50 is? Uh, I doubt it. But um, uh, yeah, this kind of saved Garrett Wang, I suppose. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like it just it wouldn't really make a lot of sense to get rid of Harry Kim. Like, he seems like uh, a little bit more pivotal than Cass? I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on if they had gotten rid of him? Well, how different would the show have been if he was gone and Cass had stayed? I mean, that whole Tom Paris, Harry Kim bromance never would have happened. Right. And I just wonder, like, had they kind of run out of real estate with the Cass character? They, they didn't really know what to do with her. And I feel like there was some... I mean, there was some interesting pieces, but it was kind of like they never really knew what to do with her. When you go back and watch the first couple seasons, she's really kind of almost like a background character. Like the stories that are cast specific are never really that engaging. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why the depart, like the separation, wasn't wasn't very, uh, you know, it was it was amicable because, like, you know, I think 
the producers sort of recognize that yeah we kind of wrote ourselves into the into a corner with this character that we can't really do much with it and I, I think Jennifer Leon also felt like she had other opportunities on the horizon if she wanted to if she you know she was to leave Voyager so I, I it seems from what I read like it wasn't really that there wasn't a lot of friction about it it was sort of like yeah, this is probably best for both of us. So I'll just, you know, I'll just go and I'll, I'll look for these other opportunities. And the producers are like, okay, we got this dead end character that we can't do anything with that we can just get rid of. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of dirt or a lot of uh, juicy uh, bits to for us to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I think that the, the, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or talk about it later, but I mean, Jennifer Lean's career really there was a little bit of an uptick so like she basically left Voyager like what in like 1997 she appeared in America History X in 1998 alongside Captain Sisko of course Uh, then she was in SLC Punk in, in 1998 like things were really on the up and up for her and then basically you know she made this appearance in the year 2000 and she was also in the men in black cartoon series and then just nosedive uh if you type in jennifer lean into google the first thing that comes up is uh, mug shots arrests life didn't really end up going super super great for jennifer lean and it, it all kind of I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was because of Voyager, but it's like once Voyager ended, she kind of had like a, a kind of a decent trajectory and then just completely fell off. So um, it's hard to say, you know, if, if she had kept on for another few years, would would some of that stuff maybe have been avoided? Or is it just kind of one of those things where, you know, they, they maybe saw stuff that we didn't know? Like we're totally getting into speculation here. Well, I mean, I don't I don't want to, you know, sling mud or anything. You know what happened ha- has happened, and it's out there for those of us who are who are interested. I mean, she did some good stuff after. Um, I, you know, I'm certainly a big fan of the movie American History X, which she was in, and um, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, you know, that things kind of fell off the table after that for for her because, you know, by by all accounts, she was a pretty talented actress. I mean, she was really you had to remember too that she was really young, like she was like in her early twenties on in Voyager, and I mean. You can't really say that she was a bad actor. You know, everyone that, you know, a lot of the cast of Voyager was disappointed that she left because they felt like she was a pretty skilled young actor that had some potential. Yeah, it's unfortunate how, you know, sometimes things don't work out for for people, even though they have maybe have the best intentions. I think that one of the things, and this is very true of a lot of actors that are on Star Trek uh, and a lot of kind of characters that maybe come in for a little tiny stint or whatever is that you can make a name off of star trek right if you are a person who are is on a star trek show and you're a main character you have a certain amount of sway like almost every person that you click on who's a regular cast member their their wikipedia page usually states best known for playing uh, Harry Kim in Star Trek Voyager, best known for playing Bellana Torres in Star Trek Voyager. Like, this is the thing they're most remembered for, right? Sometimes they have a couple of big shows that they're known for, but I would say in almost 99% of the cases, Star Trek is the first thing that they're known for. And I almost feel like, in this case, like, Jennifer Lean almost gets like the asterisks. She gets like the Denise Crosby asterisks because it's like, yeah, she was on Star Trek Voyager. It's her most famous role, but they also ditched her after three seasons. And uh, I don't know. For me, it's I, I almost kind of feel like they could have just jaked her and just maybe had her on the show, but just not in every episode. You know, like just as a character that could be in sick bay. Uh, like a nurse chapel type or something like kind of just maybe diminished her role a little bit getting rid of her almost seemed like it was too much but it, you could almost feel like they were like well we can't have like two hot chicks running around and so because we're gonna have seven of nine like Kess is automatically like out well there's also the budget to consider as well i think that was the reason why they had to get rid of somebody was because they didn't want to have to pay 10 10 main main cast uh, members. I think that was the the big reason for it. Okay. Now, as far as the return, uh, I mean, Rick Berman, I guess he made the decision at some point, probably in, during season six, that he wanted 
to bring Kess back for an episode. And so he sort of went to the writers and said, okay, you guys need to come up with a really a really good story for Kess because we, we, you know, we want to bring her back for an episode and we don't want to bring her back for some, you know, Mickey Mouse episode just to say that we threw her on there. Like he wanted the story to be really good uh, so that it would be, you know, a little bit easier to convince her to come back because, you know, if you hand her a script that's garbage and say, here you go, this is your return to Voyager. Like it's, it's a little bit easier to get them to say yes if, if the story's good. Well, that is an excellent segue, Matt, because if you want to find out if this story ended up being really good, you're going to have to listen to see, uh, after we talk about the plot, whether we decide, was it worth it for uh, Jennifer Lean to come back for this episode, or was it a mistake? Did uh, Berman uh, promise the uh, you know keys to the kingdom and deliver, or did it fall flat? I guess we'll have to see. This episode has a really kind of fun teaser that I actually really liked where Janeway, it's it's Tuvok's birthday and uh, in sort of typical Vulcan fashion, he's like tried to keep it a secret, like what his birthday is. And, you know, Janeway sort of toys with him a little bit, teases him, if you will, in the teaser here where she's like, I had to dig through terraquads of data and separate fact from rumor and all this and that. And then she like turns around and she's got like a little birthday cake. I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool thing, and it's a very nice sort of Janeway Tuvok moment that we've sort of grown to expect over the course of the series. Yeah, I, I do like the relationship between Tuvok and Janeway. She mentions that they served on three ships together, so Voyager would be one. What are the other two ships? Do we ever find out? I guess the second one would probably be like that episode from with Sulu, right? Like the... Is that what she's including, maybe, is when they work together on that ship, or do you think that it's from something previous? There is one ship that is mentioned every so often called the Albatani. Okay. I believe they served on that ship. I'm not sure about the third, though. Because that Sulu thing was like a flashback, so I don't know if Janeway was actually... She was just like there as part of the flashback. She wasn't actually on that ship, or otherwise she'd be like 100 years old. Right. Well, they're saying here that, you know, Tuvok is probably getting into like the 98, 99-ish age because she he's pushing three digits. To, how is it that he's only a lieutenant? Or sorry, like, I mean, how is he not a captain maybe is a, the question I want to ask. Because they've served on three ships together. They've obviously served a long time. But then also, um, like, Tuvok served way before Janeway because we know that he served with Sulu from that flashback episode. So... Uh, like, shouldn't he have been promoted at this point? Like, I, I kind of feel like, is there something I'm missing that I, I haven't picked up? Like, there must be some like logical reason for him not to accept promotion. That's all I can say. <laughs> and he, he's a lieutenant commander at the end, but does he start as a lieutenant? For some reason, I thought he did, but maybe not. That's a bit of a tricky one to do to tackle because like they kept putting the wrong like they were very inconsistent with his rank pips right the series like there was like in this episode for example when they go back in time he has the lieutenant commander pips but apparently was only a lieutenant at that time but then if you go back and watch some of the old season one episodes like he does them sometimes and sometimes he doesn't it's it's really Odd. So that's that's probably the confusion for me. But I mean, regardless, I think we can both agree that he should probably, at the very least, be a commander uh, at this point. Although Voyager was very weird with their ranking. They never really wanted to rank people up. Uh, you know, in Next Generation, by the time you got to the end, almost everybody was a commander. Which made sense because they had done so many great things. But Voyager, there was kind of this 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 mindset. I think we talked about how, you know, Harry Kim wanted to be or. Garrett Wang wanted Harry Kim to be promoted, but then Rick Berman was kind of like, well, you need to have an Anson somewhere, so that's you. Like, they, he didn't really get that you could have <laughs> multiple people at higher ranks, you know what I mean? Especially if you're a bridge crew person. So, uh, yeah, the the Voyager command system and ranking system, you know, I kind of wish that Janeway had just been giving those pips away like crazy. Just give them out like Halloween candy. She might have even given one to Kess. Who knows if she'd stuck around. But uh, yeah, anyway, so Kess appears in this like small ship and she comes aboard and all this stuff's blowing up because she's apparently become like super, super powerful and also powerful enough to use the warp core to travel back in time. Do you have any problems with this like zany level of uh, like telekinetic powers? So it was actually established when they did the episode The Gift 
that basically remember how they only lived for nine years, Ocompans? And so it was established that as she gets older, her powers will increase more and more and more. And I think there was even something mentioning how because she wasn't around other Ocompans, they didn't have a sense of how she could control it. And so because she couldn't control it as well anymore, maybe like that explains how she's like basically Emperor Palpatine now. She's given everybody like the force lightning pushes and she's almost like they shoot her and she doesn't die and stuff. She walks through the force fields. Walks through the force fields. I don't have any problem with it, but I will say that I don't know that it aged very well. I remember you were saying like, oh, it's just like so epic. The bulkheads are blowing and stuff. But you could tell that it was like a green screen. Like, I almost wonder if they had taken it from another episode and just like, okay, Jennifer, like, walk in front of the screen and we'll just put in the cool effects later. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. At this point in the episode, I'm still pretty much with with it. And like you said, it definitely is a catcher. Like, once you start onto it, you're like, yeah, this is going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would assume that as she got older, her powers would grow as well. So I, it's not, like, super far-fetched that she'd be able to do all this stuff. Now she materializes, I think it was in sickbay, and there's this kind of cool little like th- kind of throwback scene where you get this, you know, the first season doctor back again. And I think that was some pretty good acting and also some pretty good writing for them to remember like, oh yeah, when the doctor was first around in season one, he, you know, he tended to like blather on about things and no one was paying any attention to him. Like I think Kess even like leaves the room like while he's in mid sentence, just like going off on a tangent. I thought that was really good. Yeah, they really did a great job with that. And I do like to, cause this was kind of during the time where he was trying to discover the name. So they did the, they did the classic thing that you always like where, you know, if they're talking about famous presidents, they'll be like Lincoln, uh, you know, Clinton, and then they'll throw in like one that nobody knows, right? Like, uh, like a future one that we haven't seen yet. And so the name that he's chosen is Perinko, who apparently cured cancer in the 21st century and became like, a, you know, a staple of modern medicine. So again, just like throwing in a new one. And then he goes back and, and mentions some more famous like medical names from the past or whatever. But yeah, I thought that that was kind of a, a double nice callback because uh, you got the fact that he's still looking for a name and also that, you know, a doctor that we have yet to see in our current timeline, right? Yeah, and he's back to his old mannerisms, which were always, I always found him, him to be rather hilarious in the first season when he was, you know, more more abrasive and a little bit less, a little bit more oblivious to like how you interact with actual people. So that was, that was a pretty, pretty fun scene, I thought. Yeah, and I do like how he slowly progressed because basically his program was evolving the same way that a person would evolve. So that part of it was cool, too. I liked when older Kess, uh, so she decides, she goes into the aeroponics bay or whatever. She sedates the younger self and then just like st- stuffs her in a drawer. That yeah. I, <laughs> I As you do. it was kind of funny that like, you know, in that entire, ep- that whole like scene in the past, no one was like, well, what's this uh, in this drawer here? Like they just, you know. I guess she was the only one who really did it though, right? She was the only one who really worked in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, so then she goes and she gets some coffee and she brings some coffee to the, the captain. And then sort of as the captain's leaving the ready room, she like very cleverly, like accidentally on purpose spills it. And then the captain's like, oh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, clean it up and then leaves. And so then she like takes the opportunity to hack into the computer. I thought that was pretty, pretty clever move. Yeah. So I, I have two things. Number one, I think that they're doing a really good job establishing because it's the older cast. And because she knows so well all the mannerisms and idiosyncrasies of the crew, she's able to kind of know where her younger self is going to be. She knows that the captain's going to want coffee, so it's a good way to get into the office. And then she spills it so she can stay, and she knows how to work the computer. Like all that stuff is good. But the one thing I will say is, like Jennifer Lean here is she's not produce she's not proving the producers wrong with this acting. I find it to be very kind of wooden very kind of like uh like distant like there's something that's gone and i know it's only been a couple of years since we last saw Kess, but and i know she's trying to play this like angry evil Kess, but even when she's playing the young version of herself it's like it's just not quite there like there's a little bit of the sparkle is gone out of the eye um what are your thoughts maybe on on her performance as both like the redo Kess as well as the old Kess? 
Um, I didn't really notice that it was bad, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I was not really... Maybe it's because the story was good, so I was just kind of so caught up in that that I didn't really notice any... There, I, I think there probably were moments where I thought, oh, that's a little bit right. off, or maybe that's a little bit not so good. But I overall, I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't really know... I, didn't, I don't know if I actually wrote it down at all. You know, for being a show that I think a lot of people agree got off to a rough start throughout the first two or three seasons, let's say. They sure love going back to this era, don't they? There are so many Voyager episodes where they either go back in time or they send Seven of Nine or they they, they do a lot of this where they go back and it's like, oh, Janeway's got the season one hair and we're fighting the Vidians and the, uh, you know, all the old season one villains. It's kind of strange, really. This... This time especially, because I just finished Voyager for the however many time, and I was like, man, do they love going back to this era. It's true. They they did come up with a number of creative ways to, to go right back to the start or, or close to it. And yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure why they did that. I mean, do you think that it's because they love the, you know, the Vidian uh, villains? You know, like this is kind of the side plot here is that the Vidians are, are kind of setting up a trap for a Voyager in this vacuole subspace do you think it's like that was just such a good villain they never could think of anything better or or do you think it's just kind of like they they like this idea that it's going back in time i don't know i guess maybe when they sit there and think like oh let's do a time travel story where should we go back to maybe this i don't know maybe they're just like oh let's just go back to the let's just go back to the beginning of the series yeah i don't know okay well i mean and then we start getting kind of this mixture so now it's the the early era tuvok starts having these like I guess we'll call them premonitions. So he like mentions the Delta Flyer, which doesn't exist yet. He sees Seven of Nine in the in the chamber, and he starts hearing kind of voices and things like that. Um, this part was pretty good. I, I think that this is kind of probably my favorite bit. Is that I guess because Tuvok has psychic powers as well, he's like picking up some of the resonance. I guess. Yeah, the other one that he, the other sort of uh, hallucination or whatever that he had was Naomi Wildman, which is you know is one of my least favorite characters. But, um, yeah, I actually thought it was kind of funny that he mentions the Delta Flyer and everyone's like, the Delta what? Yeah. And he sort of like, and he like tries to play it off like, oh, I must have been like thinking of another ship. Yeah. <laughs> Although doesn't this kind of. I thought that was kind of funny. It does also kind of create this like weird thing where now like whenever you go back and they're talking about like the Delta Flyer, like Tuvok already knew that the Delta Flyer was going to get made because. He had that premonition from the, you know what I mean? Like that whole time loop thing, right? Maybe he was the one who suggest, like drew up the, he's like, <laughs> hey, hey, Paris, maybe you should make this like hot rod shuttle. Right, could be, right? Or like he's like <laughs> sitting in the, you know, he's talking to Ensign Wildman. He's like, oh, you know, it'd be a good name for your daughter, Naomi <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so we really, we don't, Tuvok has like had so much influence on the course of Voyager's history that we don't actually know. That's about. maybe why he's so cool under pressure. Like when they're, you know, the Borg are like attack him. He's like, oh, don't worry. I know that we survive at least another <laughs> six months. Exactly. Yeah. That, he, that's why he's so, so cool and calm. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, so the Vidians are like sort of hurting Voyager. They're, they're talking in the conference room about how they're like, they like would, would just like attack them and just sort of like nudge them into this so like one direction or whatever. And, and there's this region with subspace vacuoles. Uh, do you have any idea what the heck they're talking about when they say subspace vacuoles? Well, a vacuole <laughs> in biology is basically like a little sack in a cell. It's usually like filled with water or like nutrients or whatever. And so like in plant cells, vacuoles will be like these little pockets of water. And so I guess what they were thinking was it was going to be kind of like that same idea where they're going to have these little pockets, but of subspace. And so uh, because they can't fly through them, maybe they could kind of corral them into an area that you would be able to attack or something. I, I mean, it's decent. It's 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 something that I think is so I like the, the, the word play kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Okay, well, um, I mean, it's it works, right? Because they need to like put them into this situation where there's like basically one direction they can go in in order to navigate through this area. So it it, it works for the for the plot, I guess, because the Vidians want to like you know 
put them into a vulnerable position and then you know swoop in it's one of those things where like it's, it's basically like you remember in the old westerns where you know you, you'd create a scenario where the, the the covered wagons would have to go down like a narrow gorge or something and then you could ambush them because you had the higher ground and they were there's nowhere to go left or right like you just kind of block the front and the back it's kind of like they're setting up that same scenario but because it's in space they have to do it with these like weird vacuole things it's interesting that every so often, you know, they run into one of those uh, kinds of things, and sure enough, there's always a bad guy waiting around the corner. Always, always, always. Now, there's an in- a scene that I found kind of interesting where, like, Kess walks into her, the older Kess walks into her quarters, and, like, Neelix has got it all, like, set up nice for dinner, and he, there's, like, this voice recording of, like, oh, I wanted to have a nice dinner with you, and she, like, just completely loses it and, like, totally trashes the room. I found it interesting because, um, like, she's so, becomes so embittered that like even though like neelix always seemed to be like kind of her soft spot Mm -hmm. early on like no matter how stressed or whatever she was or or how bad of a day she had it always seemed like neelix neelix was always the one who could put a smile on her face and here she just like completely trashes the room so i i I mean i i feel like that was maybe just to show how embittered she had become well i well number one this the the key the the neelix kess romance thing is so cringe and this is like, <laughs> they did not need to remind us that Kess and Neelix had like a sexual relationship, but they decide to do it. And the way that I took this, and I almost kind of think like this is a better, more interesting thing, is that like, imagine a scenario where you only live for nine years. Like nine years for us is not really that long, right? That would go by in a blink of an eye, right? And so if you... I'd have lived four lifetimes by now. Yeah, no, exactly. So... It's like if you were in a relationship and you only lived for like nine years, right? Um, if you put a lot of time into that and spent a lot of your life, right? It's kind of like it's not fair in a way. You know what I mean? Like you're, like you said, like if every day that you spend with that person, you know, they're going to live like four times longer, right? So it's kind of like they're not putting in as much as you are. And so I kind of got the feeling like, you know, maybe Kess had some like major regrets about spending so much time with Neelix. Like she has so much to learn, so much to see, so much to do. So like, you know, sitting around having dinner with Neelix and watching like old movies and stuff, it's kind of not the same as like a regular relationship where somebody lives to be a hundred you know like it's yeah i could see that right and especially for like a relationship like this one where it doesn't work out it's almost like you know you could have this sense like she felt like she wasted her time and i mean lots of people have that feeling right where like you have a relationship you're together for a long time it doesn't work out you look back and you think oh geez what a waste that was but then imagine only living for nine years and then having that like almost amplified to the nth degree like if they were together for three years that was a third of her life that she spent with somebody who she didn't even end up with so i kind of get that in in a in a way yeah i thought it was pretty effective too just to show like how how embittered she'd become because you know she she always neelix always managed to put a smile on her face and she was just so so put off by the by what happened with when she was on voyager that just the mere like you know sound of his voice and she just like completely went off the handle i thought it was pretty pretty interesting scene she was acting like all the fans of voyager at the time (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh we talked about tuvok's like hallucinations and he finally tells uh janeway about them and i liked how they came up finally with a kind of a clever explanation for uh samantha wildman's like super long pregnancy Oh, yeah, they retconned it. Yeah, he said, like, the, the gestation period was, like, twice as long in Katarians as it is in humans, and so that's why she didn't know until, like, the end of the first season. And it's kind of interesting that we get that now, because I remember there was a recent episode of uh, the Delta Flyers, which is a, a podcast that Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wong do, and they reviewed the episode, I think, where Nate, where she tells them that she's pregnant. And they're like, but how could she not know? It was like in the second season. And then I guess they came up with this, this clever explanation, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. What are your thoughts on kind of like this uh, Tuvok, Obi-Wan-like 
link that he has. Like, there's that scene where he's walking through the corridors, and it's literally from A New Hope, where he's like, I haven't, he almost, he's like, I haven't sensed that in, like, so long or something. Like, like remember that line? It's like, that was kind of the feeling that I had. Do you think this is kind of maybe pushing the, you know, the Vulcan telekinetic powers a little far or you're like ah whatever it's good i thought it was pushing it a bit far but they also needed to do this because they needed some way of knowing what kest was going to do in the future so that they could plan for it and i guess this is kind of the most it it, it kind of makes sense because we tuvok has had these kind of experiences before but i when i was watching the episode i was like uh, that's maybe stretching it a little bit some of this stuff do you think that uh, because, Na- like, I mean, Tuvok tells Janeway that there's a Borg in the cargo bay. So then do you think that when they eventually come up to Seven of Nine, that's part of the reason why Janeway decides to keep her is because he, she she knows that that's what the past person did in the future. You know what I mean? Like, that becomes a bit of a mind screw up. But, I mean, do you think that factors in or this is just whatever? It's hard. It's hard to say, really. I mean, this is they're kind of going back and kind of changing the past a little bit. So it's true. And I guess it's one of those things where once you do one thing that changes it, it then changes the future forever. So good old time travel episodes. They're always fun to try to make sense of after the fact. Right. (laughs) Now, what are your thoughts on the Vidians returning? Now, I know that you kind of have... uh... I mean, Vidians, everyone's kind of a little bit hot and cold on, but um, the makeup is pretty wild, and uh, the ship looks pretty cool. What are your thoughts on the Vidians? I, I don't mind them as a villain. I think it was they were kind of an original idea where they have this, uh, you know, alien race that's been completely ravaged by this horrible disease. And, you know, the makeup is always really well well done. I, I always thought that they were pretty scary-looking, pretty... Uh, you know, and, and that's sort of how you would expect them to look if they have this, like, flesh-eating disease that they're constantly trying to, like, patch up their, their own bodies with other, you know, the organs and whatever of other other people. So I, you know, I don't mind seeing them return because uh, they're always pretty pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I like the Vidians. I think that it, they were ones that maybe just they didn't really do enough with, like... The Voyager is really strange because almost all of the main villains, because they're, they're kind of traveling and there's like episodes thrown in, you don't really get a good sense of like when are they leaving Vidian space or like when are they entering Borg space or leaving Borg space or, you know, how far do the Kazon reach? Like it's kind of like a little bit gray when they're in those areas like it kind of feels to me like the Kazon it was like oh yeah we just forgot about them and we must be like past their space and the same thing with the Vidians it was never like they explicitly were like okay this is the last kind of outpost of the Vidians once we're past here we'll never see them again yeah it's almost like they should have like made themselves a map or something and said okay once we reach this point well the Kazon are gone forever once we reach this point the Vidians are gone forever they never really it was really kind of mishmashy about who whose space ended and started where because like you know that the the episode scorpion like they were supposed to have been like thrown completely clear of borg space but then like you know a month later they're like oh a borg ship and then like a year later they're like oh a borg ship well, they were supposed to get that. Remember, Neelix was going to get that map that was kind of like the whole galaxy or whatever. But then, I guess that never really came to fruition. And and maybe they, the writers, almost wanted to leave it ambiguous just so that if they came up with a good story, they could like just use it again. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that could be. Anyways, yeah, it's a little. It was very confusing, especially the first couple of first three or four seasons, because it's like you know one one villain would disappear for like half a season or a whole season and then all of a sudden they would just pop back up again well i mean what what are your thoughts kind of on the overall take here so you know i mean it's really convenient that tuvok is seeing the future so they can prepare for it but i mean we we already kind of discussed that we'll we'll accept that but what are your thoughts on kind of the idea that kess is feeling like you know she was ruined and corrupted taken from her home uh you know she feels slighted by voyager and uh you know that's why she's arranged this big thing where the vidians are going to capture them and she sells them out and everything um what are your kind of thoughts on kess's motives i want to know how it happened because 
there's really no explanation for why she's become so embittered and so like I want to like even if it's just like a really quick scene you know even in the cargo bay when she's confronted by Janeway where she can just say like you know after I left something happened that you know changed my perspective on things or something like that but it's never really explained even even or even hinted at like why she became so so bitter I mean is this really something that happens in old age I kind of feel like it isn't you know like you don't really hear about like a lot of grandparents going around and being like I wasted my life raising you you know or or you know going in and, and knocking over tables and being like I wish I had done this or I wish I had done that I think think that this is yeah maybe a little bit hard to accept um and it's not as if you know if she had been captured by voyager and had spent a third of her life in the prison or the brig then okay yeah you totally should be pissed off but they were always really nice to her they allowed her to learn new things and i, I mean i don't think the okompans were really living the living at large back in Kazon space <laughs> like it was pretty horrible there so I mean I, I I'm kind of feeling like this is not a fair thing right I, I mean I guess that's the whole thing at the end right is that the younger cast like basically says that but I mean at some point you have to kind of take ownership of your own decisions and your own life and you can't really be this vindictive and it was never really in Kess's mindset to be like that either well, no, that was what I was going to say. Uh, the next thing I was going to say, like, she was always such a kind-hearted and good-natured person. Like, what ha what the hell happened? Like, how did she become so so embittered and so uh, put off by Voyager that she's going to use her, you know, vast powers, track down this one ship in the, the whole galaxy and be like, you guys ruined my life, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go back in time and prevent it from happening. Like it just, it just, there's no explanation. Like even, not even a short, brief, like throwaway line or anything. What happened to her? <laughs> and I mean that the time travel thing is a problem anyway, because realistically, if you could go back in time, just go back to when Kess was still living on Okampa and just walk up and be like, hey, don't go with Voyager. Stay here. You know what I mean? Like, why does she have to go to this random spot somewhere in like season two and... And, and do that i mean yeah i i don't know i almost kind of wish they had included something like where as she got older she started getting like an alzheimer or like a dementia and you know voyager was kind of like something that was still stuck in her mind and so that's why she was like obsessed with it or something because you're right it makes no sense if you have if you already feel like you wasted so much of your life on this ship and you're so vindictive then why would you waste more of your life trying to find the ship to really stick it to them you know like I don't know that that kind of thing. You start un, un, unraveling the ball, and the shirt falls off. You know. Yeah, I felt like there was something missing that they could have maybe offered some sort of plausible explanation for why she would have changed so much in the you know couple of years that she was she was gone. But oh well. I think also that they maybe like think that three years is like a lot longer than than it is because. There's that whole thing where Janeway's ready for her the second time around. And then they're having like the whole cake discussion and everything. And then she's like, oh my goodness, it's been so long. I almost forgot. It's like, it was three years ago. It was like a pretty big deal when uh, when she left. You know what I mean? Like, do you really think that you would have forgotten something from three years before? Well, you got to remember, this is the end of season six. And, the, and Kess went back. I think it would have been some somewhere in season one because it was pretty early on oh, okay so i mean it's actually more like five years but yeah i mean i guess that was kind of a f weird line where kes turns up the second time and jane was like oh i almost forgot but i mean i guess because they wouldn't have known exactly when she was going to you know come and try to time travel back so i guess i mean if they knew the exact day like you know i'm sure janeway could have like programmed a reminder into her like day plan or whatever like cat <laughs> older cast is gonna come and try and uh alter the timeline today make sure you're ready but if i mean they didn't know the exact day so i guess it's possible that they could have slipped their mind yeah and then janeway tells older cast like oh maybe you should just go home and she's like yeah maybe i should it's like yeah that's gonna take longer <laughs> to get home than you think like how fast does that ship go uh, and what are the odds of her actually making it all the way back like think about how far voyager is from where the Ocompans are, uh, yeah, she's not going to make it. 
And then she's going to be even more mad at Voyager. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, before we sort of get back into, uh, get too deep into, like, the older cast coming the second time, I just wanted to point out a pretty cool line by Chakotay that's kind of a throwback to, like, a really classic Sulu line from Star Trek VI, where, like, Ensign Kim's like, it'll tear the hull apart, like, because they're trying to, like, shake free of those, like, grappler things that the Dominions used, and and Chakotay's like, tear it apart then, which is, like, a classic Sulu line where, like, they're, like, trying to get to the the peace conference in time at the end to save Kirk and McCoy or whatever. And, and the ensign and the helmsman's like, but she'll tear apart, sir. And he's like, tear her apart then. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Sulu's getting all kinds of love this week, even though he's not even in the episode. <laughs> he's a great, uh, he's a great character. Indeed. I just want to kind of finish with one last thing. I don't know that either of us wrote it down, but um, the, the Neelix Kess kind of final showdown or the final kind of thing was just horrible, like just awful. Um, I don't think that they really got a great kind of send off in the gift, and I feel like this is even worse. Like it's almost as if like they were just about finished, like wrapping up shooting. They're like packing up the cameras and stuff, and then somebody was like, "Oh, maybe like Neelix should say goodbye," and they like filmed this on like a you know steady cam or hand cam, and just be like, "Yeah, throw it in. We better put it." Like this was so slapped in at the last second that it was just horrible i thought i knew it was going to be cheeseball so i think i like turned my brain off when it <laughs> came on because i didn't write anything down and yeah it was i i don't think it was very good i like i said i mean i by this point the whole like Cass neelix thing like it's just so cringy that any time like you know it's coming and so when you know he strolls into the transporter room i was just like ugh, i don't want to see this I just, like, covered my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish I had. <laughs> All right, uh, we already kind of talked about Jennifer Lean's uh, performance here. Uh, it's future and past Kess. Um, is there anything you want to add? Like, I mean, I I think I've sort of said my piece about how, like, you know, the Kess seemed very bitter and vengeful. We didn't really get an explanation for it. Um, you, you've kind of mentioned that you thought that the performance was a little bit wooden or a little bit lacking at times is there anything else that you want to kind of throw in there so i mean speaking of being bitter and vengeful forget about Cass. what about jennifer lean and uh you know her interactions with jerry ryan which was something that i was really interested in and it's a shame because there's one seven of nine Cass interaction when she goes into engineering and seven of nine says state your intentions she gets blasted with like the psychedelic beam and that's it. That is the only scene in Voyager where Seven of Nine and Kess interact. As far as I know, I don't know that there's any other scenes maybe in another episode. Nope, that's it. Kind of a shame, I actually think. Uh, isn't this... Maybe I've built it up in our mind or the fans have built it up in our minds that, you know, Jerry Ryan and Jennifer Lean, they're like rivals because she stole her job and everything else. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but I kind of feel like it would have been nice maybe to see the two on screen like a little bit more, especially since, you know, let's be honest, Voyager is split into two sections. There's the Seven of Nine era and there's the Kess era. Uh, whether you like it or not, that's kind of how it's, it's, it's broken down. So a bit, of a, a bit of a shame that we don't really get much of those two. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There's, there's one, one line, one scene, and that was it. It would have been funny if they could have like somehow done something like where it's like Kess is like the oh I'm the, you're the the you were the like alien civilian sidekick for a while and Seven's like oh but now I'm the uh, aliens <laughs> you know like if they could have like put them in a room together and somehow that was I don't know it would have been kind of funny but I think it would have been tough to do there wasn't much of Seven of Nine in this episode at all no and that's. Yeah, it's kind of too bad, really. I kind of wish that we had maybe gotten a bit more of the two of them. Kind of maybe wish that we had seen more interactions with her and the Doctor, her and Chakotay, her and Tuvok. Like, that was kind of why everybody was excited to get her back, and we don't get much. Uh, We get a couple of cool throwbacks. Uh, We get Samantha Wildman, and there's that one scene with Mr. Carey in the cargo bay, which I thought was kind of... Kind of cool. I mean, I guess Samantha Wildman isn't as much of a throwback because she does sort of turn up throughout the series, but it was kind of cool that we get to see her like sort of back in the first season mode. Yeah, there's a lot of side characters in Voyager that just 
kind of disappear. Like I think Samantha Wildman is an, is a great example because there's a period I think like in late season six, early season seven, where like Naomi's a character, but Samantha isn't. Like Samantha's never around, or they maybe just mention her, but she's not actually ever seen. So yeah, it, it's kind of cool to see you know early Ensign Wildman, but yeah, like I said, they did so many of these Voyager episodes where they went back to the original one or two seasons that i guess it's 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 nice but it's not like it's unheard of or unseen and yeah i missed it was kind of odd to see carrie because he like he was in a lot of those first and second season episodes and then he was just gone gone yeah it was kind of cool to see him even though he only really had like that one line where he's like can i help you sir you know and tuvok sort of wandered into the cargo bay he just happened to be like standing there (laughs) kind of nice to have a couple of couple of old classics uh appear again now we get the first time on rtr we've had a von armstrong episode and of course he is known as uh the he he's played the most roles on star trek if you depending on how you count them he's played uh 12 different characters which is the most uh of any actor i can't believe this is the first time that we've seen him i feel like especially with enterprise he was kind of like a quasi main character but I guess you're right. All the Enterprise episodes we have seen were never really near Earth, so he has he is just one of those character actors, right? Like I think that uh, there's always that love for Jeffrey Coombs, but uh, Vaughn Armstrong's right there, man. He has a lot of classic characters as well as a lot of minor ones, and he's also played quite an uh, impressive array of different aliens. Now he has played a human, a uh, two Cardassians, a Romulan, three Klingons. A Borg, a Vidian, a Herogen, and a Kratassin. That's a lot of, like, crazy makeup. So he, he must be able to sit still very for a long time very uh, well. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's quite the resume. And, of course, this episode he plays the Vidian, for anybody that's curious. Yes, the Vidian captain that uh, Kess was, like, conspiring with. So that's, some pretty, that's probably the most intense makeup out of all of them, I would think. Probably, yeah. Vidian, yeah. All right, uh, lots of special effects in this episode. Surprisingly, considering sort of that it's just like Kess traveling back in time, but there was we talked about the exploding bulkheads that were right off the top. Uh, there was a lot of sort of screen, like doubles, like scenes where there's two, two Kesses on the screen, so that was kind of a, a tricky thing to do. And then there was also the whole thing with the, the battle scene with the Vidian ship. And um, the reason that uh, this guy, John Bruno directed the episode is because he has a pretty good understanding of how to use special effects effectively and how to like you know direct to make it a little bit easier so um because yeah, he's not a big name director as far as star trek goes at least i don't recognize the name uh he didn't really stand out to me i read that same thing that you did where they said that he was you know a really great special effects i didn't think the special effects were all amazing or anything it was okay but um yeah, they were they were okay. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were. I mean, I can understand why they would want a, a director who knows special effects because there was quite a few of them, I think, in this episode. Um, now, planning the effects was a little bit ch- a bit of a challenge to plan because apparently they didn't have the entire final script before they started production, so um, they had to kind of figure it out on the fly, I guess, as they were filming. So that is never good. No, I don't think it really was blatantly obvious though at any point I, I don't know if there's any like anything that stuck out to you as like oh boy they didn't like set that up very well or anything like that no nothing crazy although like i said anytime that there's a time travel where you go back and try to remedy the past it always just brings up the question why not just go back right to the very beginning and and just be done with it but it's acceptable um i think that it's uh it's it's not the best thing they could have done for kess um, as as far as I'm concerned, it's it's interesting because it she comes back, but uh, for me anyway, I could take it or leave it. There, there, there's there's nothing here. As much as they said, oh, it's such a good script, and oh, we're gonna woo you back with like this amazing opportunity. I'm not seeing it, and the fact that the script wasn't finished makes me think that they were just kind of maybe talking smoke rather than uh, actually for sure for sure knowing what they were. <laughs> I thought it was pretty decent. Um, I thought it wasn't like the story was kind of interesting. I mean, really, the only thing that that really, really bothered me was that they didn't really have any explanation whatsoever for why she 
or how she became so bitter and, and vengeful towards Voyager because that that just seems like a complete 180 from what we get from Kess prior so I mean there must have been something that happened but we never get any any hint whatsoever of, of what that might have been right now I mean I guess the last thing to kind of talk about before we wrap up here is just that what is the legacy of the character Kess and I guess for Jennifer Lean I always felt like Esri was not well liked on Deep Space Nine but then once the show was over and there was some time to kind of percolate uh there's a huge Esri following I mean you and I both love Esri but I mean we're from Toronto so Nicole DeBoer like we obviously have to like Esri I think it's like part of the citizenship but um Mm -hmm. I mean why is that why is it that Esri kind of got this huge following after the show is over but Kess I don't really ever hear much about her and I would kind of put her in the same category right like kind of the cutesy you know female character that like I think a lot of people would probably kind of relate to or 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 just kind of like in general um but it never seemed that way it just always seemed like you know it was kind of get out of the way seven of nine this is where it's at uh what are your thoughts on on kind of Kess the legacy well I think if you're going to compare to Ezri Dax I mean the character like Jed Zia was a hugely popular character to begin with and so I think I think it's almost like you get handed something really good and all you have to do is just not screw it up and it'll be fine and that's how I feel like it was with Ezri it's like if you do like an adequate job of playing a new iteration of Dax you'll be fine because the previous you know the previous Dax was wildly popular and I don't think Kess has that like like luxury because she you know that she was once she was done she was done and they just the character was just so misused yeah it's almost flipped actually right because the seven of nine character came along and just did so much more that it's like that's the beloved character well yeah and I mean if you think like how many Kess episodes are there in the first three seasons like there's not many you know she was always just kind of like hanging around sick bay while the doctor's there or like hanging around with neelix but she was never really unless it was a kess episode she was really just on the periphery kind of hanging around and they didn't really do much with her and um i think that because of that like it's like if you just sort of take that background character and just make her go away does anyone really care well no probably not because she's not really adding that much to the show and i mean part of that is writing and part of that is thinking you know thinking of what are we going to do with this character and and not having any good ideas so i don't think it's really the fault of the of the actor it's just they just didn't do anything with the character fair point fair point i think that you're yeah you're 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 right on i think that it's it's a shame really because i think there is the possibility that they could have done more but this is what we got so we like to, I like to, or we both like to, you know, talk about some, if there are any good scenes or any like lines that stood out to you, uh, do you got anything, uh, anything that uh, you want to throw out here for us? I mean, ish, I don't know that I necessarily have anything that I love, love, love here. Um, I thought that the Tuvok line, it was a fire hazard was kind of funny. And I think my favorite line is actually something from a different episode, which is, uh, when Paris says faster than light, no left or right, which is such a great line. I like that they kept that kind of continuity through. Uh, but in terms of memorable scenes, I think that it's the one that you said right off the top, which is, you know, Kess coming back and blowing up the ship. That's kind of the one that uh, that everybody remembers and everybody kind of has stuck in their brain. Well, I love the teaser, the scene at the beginning where Janeway, like, you know, is kind of toying with Tuvok about his birthday. I thought that was a great uh, intro to the episode. I, I couldn't, I had no idea that it was even this episode. I mean, I remember seeing it as soon as, like, it's the scene started. I was like, oh, yes, I remember this. But, but yeah, I mean, I think the most memorable thing is probably just Kess, like, walking through the ship and the bulkheads all blowing up behind her. As far as lines, I, there wasn't really any lines. I mean, I guess the Chakotay line were... He's like tear apart then. Um, that's probably the, the the one that I that I would say is the most uh, memorable memorable line. I don't know. It was. It, I think my recall pretty much you know 
tells you what you <laughs> need to know. Like I remember one yeah. specific scene, and otherwise the plot. Like I don't really remember anything, and I, I feel like that's kind of how it how it went as far as like what stuck out to me after watching it. The episode where Kess came back. All right, uh, sum up your final thoughts for me, Andrew, and uh, give me a rating out of for this episode out of five blown up bulkheads. I think that whenever you bring back a classic character. You know, you think about uh, yesterday's Enterprise, bringing back uh, Denise Crosby, or even bringing back Sela, or there, there's just something about it that has a certain degree of magic and a certain degree of expectation. And so I kind of feel like whenever this episode comes up, it sticks out on the list, right? Like when you can see the list of episodes, it's like, oh, Fury, that's the one where Kess comes back. And my expectations go to the ceiling, and then I watched the episode, and it just isn't quite there for me. I, I I think it's okay. I think it's interesting. I think that what they came up with is is a good story, and it's told well, and it's filmed well, and everything. But it's just not quite there. And I can't put my finger on exactly what it is. It's just like it's just another week of television. So I think I'm going to give it three out of five blown up bulkheads. And I, I mean, I kind of feel like maybe I'm overselling it at that value but it's really middle of the road for me well i thought it was kind of an interesting story and i thought it was a you know a decent uh sort of concept and way to bring a character back the one thing that really bugged me about this whole thing is as i've said multiple times is that there's zero explanation for why this good-natured character that we get to know over the first three seasons comes back a few years later and just is so bitter and so unhappy with what has happened and um, even if there was just like a quick flashback or even just a, a couple of lines to say like oh this happened to me and I just since I left and and that's why I have come to regret my time on Voyager like it would have probably made it a lot better for me but I, I kind of liked that the the story I, I thought the time travel was pretty easy to follow like it wasn't confusing at all and then that's always tricky to do and um the ending was a, a little bit a little bit un, unsatisfactory for me just because you know this one hologram erases all that feeling of hostility that was a little bit of a stretch but i just uh, over i found it was was overall you know pretty good there were some cool throwbacks um mr carey and, and wildman showing up again so I don't think I liked it quite enough to give it, say, four, so I'm probably also going to give it three blown-out bulkheads out of five, but, I mean, it's, it was kind of... I, I think I enjoyed it uh, enough, let's say. All right, I hear the red alert siren, which means we have come to the uh, part of the podcast where we will reach deep into the uh, trapper hat of episodes, and I'll grab a new one for Andrew, and he'll tell me what he can remember, and then we'll uh, review it on the next podcast. Andrew, what do you got? Uh, what are you thinking here? You got any uh, high hopes for what I uh, what I pull out of here? Yeah, you know what? Since we are into Discovery season, I am hoping you pull out a Discovery episode. Uh, I kind of went back and I didn't really watch everything leading up to Discovery, um, but I did watch a, a handful of episodes, a smattering, if you will. So pull me out of Discovery. I feel like I'm good and ready. And I mean, it's of the season, right? Well, you'll get one that starts with the letter D, but it's not Discovery, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the episode is from Deep Space Nine again. Holy smokes. Another one, yeah. It's from season four, and it's episode 24, so towards the end of uh, season four here. And the episode is called The Quickening. And well, got Andrew uh, gathers his thoughts here and what he can remember from The Quickening. Check us out on uh, Hollow Sweet Media. Follow us on social media as well, Twitter, Instagram. Hey, if you're bored, looking for a new podcast to check out, plenty on Holosuite Media to choose from. Whatever whatever kind of trek you're into, or there's even a few science fiction podcasts that aren't about Star Trek. But, uh, check it out. You might find one that you enjoy almost as much as RTR. Andrew's furiously writing. <laughs> I guess, yeah, here we go, I think. All right, I've got 60 seconds on the clock for Andrew, and your time begins now. 
Okay, this is a very fitting episode because it's kind of like the, a pandemic-style episode like we're in right now. So it's a Bashir episode where the team is in the... I think they go through the wormhole and they find a like desert planet and they go down and they find a, that everybody who's living there is dealing with a disease called the quickening. Uh, it's basically like this disease that comes on really quickly. There's no cure for it. I think that even the people there, like if they think that you're about to turn, they'll like take you off and kill you or something like that. And so Bashir, typical Starfleet style like wants to stay behind in order to cure it but it's like he just can't do it so I think he ends up staying behind and he's there for like a really long time and the disease is like really nasty like the skin flakes off and it boils and everything else so he stays behind and he works for a really long time till eventually there's one woman who he's kind of working closely with and he ends up uh, delivering a baby and the baby doesn't have the quickening so then it's kind of like the lead in to the fact that they might be able to come up with a cure and then he leaves and it's and that's your that's 60 seconds um actually i think you're right on the money um that sounds very much like what i would have said if i had gotten this episode so uh that's pretty good i think the only thing that maybe i would have added is i thought it was i'm pretty sure it was like a dominion engineered virus oh but maybe um, i could be wrong we'll have to find we'll watch it and we'll find out I mean, with the state of the world and the way that Star Trek can sometimes kind of predict the future when it comes to these kinds of things, this might be an episode that is very, very timely because I know for sure that it is a disease and it's kind of pandemic-esque, right? So stay tuned in two weeks' time. We've had a lot of Deep Space Nine of late, but you know what? I am not going to complain because uh, I love me some Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's definitely a very timely episode, um... Because, uh, yeah, it deals with a horrible disease and uh, the race to find a cure. So uh, who knows? Maybe all our uh, health experts should also watch this episode. Maybe they'll <laughs> like, get some, some tips on how to combat the current plague that's uh, ravaging around the globe. Indeed. Uh, and so uh, until next time, that was uh, RTR. And uh, we'll be back for The Quickening. Yep. Thanks a lot for listening. And we'll... Uh, we'll... See you again in uh, two weeks' time as we discuss the quickening. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program for Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. It's too much effort and I'm busy. I gotta get this done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had stuff to do. He had logs to plant. He had a ship to take over. <laughs> he had an entire plot to uh, to fill out and make everyone think that he needed to have a trial for mutiny. <laughs> because that will distract everyone long enough for them to get to Talospor. He's busier than Prince Humperdinck. Loading Sweet preview program for Starpod Trek a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. So we're seeing that the early Star Trek conventions were were a nice balance between science fiction and real-world science. And that was cool because because a lot of uh, Star Trek fans are interested in science and a lot of, and I mean all of those um science guests that were there probably were Star Trek fans and and they they probably even said that that they got into science because of their love of Star Trek. Loading Sweet preview program for The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Someone, you know... Oh, just gonna, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. Yeah. Child pictures are always so shit. <laughs> well, they always look... I feel like you can shit, always tell... Shit, they look tell. crap, I hate them. And then like, my niece gives me one and I'm like, oh, thank you for this, this, this masterpiece. <laughs> she drew one of me once and I had broccoli on my head and she's like, that's broccoli. I'm like, why, Alice? Why? Love it a bit, but why? <laughs> that's adorable. Computer, deactivate Holosuite. Shh.